From Buffalo, Toronto Public Media and WBFO, this is Buffalo What's Next, Producers Picks, highlights of our daily discussion on race, segregation, and our shared humanity. Normally, this program brings you segments from several interviews done in recent weeks, but sometimes the interview is so large, so interesting, and so fun, frankly. Got it. I mean, you're basically a brother right now. So <laughs> High five. <laughs> that it stands out and stands alone. That was the case for our recent chat with Buffalo City Council President Darius Pridgen. We're talking about real change and moving forward. I think that's what I heard on the show. Yeah, a little bit. Moving forward. You don't move forward by continuing to give carrots to the same people over and over. So if there should be carrots for anybody, I'm not interested in giving a developer money to put one apartment in to be able to qualify for some money that should be given to Jamal. And I don't mean Douglas. Doug Jamal. Okay. I mean Jamal Hakeem. <laughs> I'm Dave Debo. Thanks for listening. This conversation with Pridgen took place in early February, just days after he announced that he would not seek re-election and the city council's Ellicott district seat. Reverend Pridgen, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about the decision. Sure. Why are you doing it? Why are you no longer running? Um, you know, uh, when I first ran, um, and in every decision that I make, um, I pray about it first and um, really seek and uh, depend on my faith. Uh, when I first ran, there had not been a pastor ever, full-time pastor, ever elected to public office, and that's back to the school board. Yeah. Prayed, really felt that urge to do it. Um, this time, I, I did, and, and I didn't feel that urge to do it. Um, I love doing what I do on the council. I love doing what I do in this community. And I did not want to stop once I stopped loving it or people stopped liking me. You thought you'd quit <laughs> while you still enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Rather than wait till a time when it was drudgery. Yeah. Uh, my, my first pastor, uh, God rest his soul, Dr. Andrew Whitted, left Buffalo. I'm, I grew up Methodist. And uh, they, they it's kind of like Catholic uh, <laughs> where the bishop moves you around. And Dr. Whitted was doing very well at St. Luke and, and he on East Ferry Street. And he decided to move on to North Carolina. And I remember asking him why. And his take was when you are burying more people than you are baptizing, it's okay to move on. Well, I don't have that same scenario, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But I will say this. I saw the strength in his move, and he did great things in North Carolina and Jamaica. And and he was my mentor. And I want to do great things somewhere else. I want to do good things somewhere else, just not as the council member. All right. Now, the, the obvious question, and I've heard other people ask it too, but I've got to get you on the record here. Sure. You're stepping aside so ultimately someday you could run for something else. Ultimately, someday I could run for dog catcher. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ultimately, someday I could run a marathon. And, and, and this is the truth, and I've been very transparent. I know the real question. So will you step aside and later run for mayor? 
Yeah. I have right at this point in my life, and I know it can sound so political. Oh, you're just dodging a question. It's just the truth. I have no plans um, except to pastor True Bethel, except to continue being a part of this community. The reason I always say I'll never close a door is this. When I came off of the school board, here was my statement. You probably could find it somewhere. I said, I will never, ever again run for political office, right? And that came back to haunt me sometimes. People, I mean, people were very kind to me, but I meant it when I left um, the school board. And then years later, uh, this opportunity comes up to run for Ellicott, and I did. So the reason I never will say again what I will never do is because I don't know, and it's the truth. Right now, today, at this hour, live on your show, is Darius Pridgen planning to run for dog catcher, to run for mayor? Uh, Let's mayor. just pick mayor. Like, no, I don't have any plans right now. If if something came up that my passion was there, and my faith allowed me to do it. Would I do it if I wanted to? And I'm at a stage in life. I'm 58 years old. I'm at a stage in life. I do what I want to do. Okay. Um, I have done what I have felt called to do. I will continue to do that. But I'm at a place where I want to be. I want. I want to do what I want to do, and that's it. You're a candid enough guy. I know I can ask a little bit of a personal question. Sure. It was public that in 2020 you had some lung surgery. Yeah. Are there health issues that are in any way <laughs> you part of this anything. decision? No. So here, okay. I'm, I'm giving you the, I'm telling you stuff by hip. I don't have to, but I like to. All right. So well, if it was I, in the paper. It, yeah, I, I could I, Google no, it. No, no. If I had health issues, I'd say it. I, I was the first. I want you to remember this public official to have COVID and go live. There were other That's public true. officials who yeah. had COVID and they didn't want anybody to know. I went live from my bed. So my lungs, now, so I'll tell the story on my lungs. Could not figure out why I kept getting tumors on my lungs. I've had two lung surgeries, not one. Oh. I only have a half of a lung on one side. Um, my whole bottom uh, lobe is gone. So we later found out I, I had a, a property out in uh, the country. When I sold that property and they did an inspection, they found it was full of radon. And because we couldn't track it. I'm not a smoker. Couldn't track out. what. And since then, five years later, um, I haven't had and I have to go for regular checks every six months. A few weeks ago, um, I had an EKG um, and a stress test and they were concerned about my heart. And it was during the storm. This you're the first wow. person I'm telling this. So my doctor called. He said, this is very serious. Um, this can kill you. You got to be careful. You can't shovel. You can't go out while the public was. Where is Pridgen? Where is this? I'm trying to keep my butt alive. But since then, I had another test and it was only an anomaly and I'm OK. Good. 100 percent. Low right. blood pressure. No health problems. So that is not part of this decision. either. Eggs. Right? No. If it was, I would say it. All right. Fair yeah. enough. Let's look at your tenure. Yep. You were first elected in 2011. Yep. You were council president since 2022. No, I've been council president. I was council president in my first term. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Three years in, I became council president. Okay, that's why I was thinking three. Yep. I was thinking three years ago, yep. not three in. All right. Um, what is the unachieved issue? Is there something? And I, I know you say you're comfortable with leaving, and you might not have any regrets, but is there something that the city really, really needs that you feel you, for whatever reason, were not able to get to? Well, I still have 11 months. And and one of the big things right now for me, 
uh, is about this kind of outrageous rent that is being raised on people um, sometime to evict them many times. So instead of uh, landlords going through the process of eviction for cause, um, they simply raise the rents to places to to a, a, a price where people can't afford them. Um, but like I said, I got 11 months left. We are sitting a commission right now, um, a task force, if you will, uh, to look at what legally can be done. A lot of people say, hey, the city ought to uh, create laws. Well, some laws can't be created because of state law and federal law. So thank God this time I, I tried to do it before. Years ago, it wasn't as much interest then. Um, now there's a lot of interest. A lot of attorneys want to be on this task force. A lot of com- citizens want to be on this task force. A lot of community organizations. So I think that we may be able to do something in Buffalo that we have not been able to accomplish in the past. Are you talking rent control? Oh, I don't know what I'm talking at this point. I'm talking about looking at what can be done. Um, it is definitely going to take more than city law. It is definitely going to need state support without a doubt, uh, because some of what people want us to do, um, the state law uh, uh, will not allow it. So it's going. this is going to be a big haul, uh, but I'm willing to start that haul because what I'm seeing is people literally homeless because a new landlord comes in, buys a property, or even a previous landlord. Um, a current landlord comes in, buys a property, rent is $1,000. Nothing stops them from saying, I want $2,000, literally. And people can listen and go, oh, that doesn't happen. I promise you, you would have more people than you could fit in this studio who could come and tell you that story. It's a small room. <laughs> it's a small room. That's <laughs> big enough, though. Yeah, I um, And so that's one of the things that, that is important to me. Uh, right now um, and looking at how we all work together to achieve that. So much of this program talks about the under-resourced or, quite frankly, the segregated community on Buffalo's east side. Mm -hmm. Henry Lewis Taylor at UB did a study and found that rental, not rates, not the amount they pay, but the amount of rental ship is higher among African Americans among the east side compared to the city as a whole. Absolutely. So this idea you're talking about with rents being high, can we say that it it hurts the disadvantaged more? Yeah, absolutely. I I, I mean, you have to be under a rock to act like it doesn't. You know, when when you have a limited income um, and all of a sudden what you need, one of the things you need most besides food and water is is a shelter. and, and somebody comes along, and if you look at what uh, uh, properties are selling for right now, ridiculous amounts. But it's, it's the society we live in. It's America. People can buy what they want to buy if they have the means. However, when you talk about, you know, you, I look back at Tops, and I look, oh, how many people came into town, how many people even in town. Oh, we have to help the disadvantaged. We have to, but and then when you say, yeah, but you can't just double their rent. Then you get the business community going, oh, my gosh, you're going to take away our income. Oh, my gosh, we're not going to be able to buy an in-ground pool. We're not going to be able to buy the next Maserati. Well, where's yeah. the balance? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, okay, so you might have to buy a Mercedes. At the end of the day, the thing that we need most when we talk about not just affordable housing, but housing um, that is adequate, 
Um, I, I know of people who are paying, you know, thirteen hundred dollars and and still um, have lead in the house or no storm windows. I mean, this this mm. is a big problem. And so in these 11 months, it is one of the things, one of the things I still have other things that I have to concentrate on. But one of the things that I really want to see a lift. So that one is top of mind for you with the that. Time that is in the front. That's on the front burner right All now. Right. How do we increase home ownership and get those disproportionate rates of renting down? You know, you can. You, it, it is not easy to increase home ownership because it deals with culture and it also deals with history. Really? Now, I, I'm surprised. I figured you would say there are all sorts of economic things there, culture and history. Oh, yeah. If you never... Ever, my my mom and dad were the first on my mom's side to ever own a home besides his mother. Um, my mom was the first. I'm sorry, on her side, yeah, yeah. to ever own. My family grew up in the projects on my mother's side, the Perry Projects. Every one of my aunts and uncles had an apartment in the Perry Projects. My dad's mom owned a home. When I was born, I was born. We lived in the Perry Projects for like three months. My dad moved us on Winslow. My parents moved on Winslow. We rented. My Eventually, my parents, by the time I was even a teenager, owned a home in Hamlin Park because my grandfather on my father's side said, told my father, for every dollar or whatever it was, then you save, I'm going to give you $2 towards your down payment. That's culture. Many people have never, ever lived in a home that they own. So now if you have, if you say, okay, we're going to increase home ownership and now I get this house and I can't take care of it because I've never been taught, right? So it is the programs that actually teach and help. I know of success story after success story, but it's those, and those programs are not huge. They're not a lot of money in them. So it it is difficult to just say, we got it. We have to increase home ownership. If a person is not interested, you have a lot of people out here right now, and especially the younger generation, many of them are not interested in owning a home. They don't want to do the grass. They don't want to uh, do the snow. I, that, that's they part want of to where, rent. That's part of where I was going to go. Um, I might have money for a down payment, but if I don't realize that I need that big cushion for when the water tank blows yes. or when uh, when the roof falls in. Yes, I'm just setting myself up to fail because, sure, I've got the down payment, Yes, but that broader piece of wealth and the understanding that that broader piece of wealth is needed may not be there. It may not be there, but also when we talk about home ownership, we're usually talking about younger people. And the majority of young people that I talk to are not talking about necessarily staying in Buffalo. Many of them go to college. They want to move. Two of my daughters are in Houston right now. Um, at the end of the day, if you say to me, own a home or move to, especially, let's just get right down to it, African-Americans. Young African-Americans, I've still got two teenagers at home. Do you know what? They don't talk about uh, going to college and staying in Buffalo. They're already looking at where they want to live. Do they want to go to Florida? Do they? So now you talk about home ownership and you talk about it with a generation that is not necessarily comfortable saying they're even going to stay here. They, they are happier getting a loft downtown. So part of it is culture. But I also hear in what you just said the idea that they don't want to stay in Buffalo, that this city perhaps has a problem 
being seen as a place to be. Absolutely. We, I mean, from, from the younger generation, I'd be fooling myself sitting here on this radio pretending that young people want to stay in Buffalo. By and large, many of them don't. The ones who do want to come to Buffalo often are the ones who are not in Buffalo and see opportunity in Buffalo and then move here for jobs. I don't want to play the race card, but on this, can... on this program, I think we have to talk about it in terms of race. Let's um, go. Is this a better city for whites to move to than blacks Absolutely. to move to? Absolutely. Tell me why. Absolutely. Education. Let, let's just start right where it all begins. If I am African-American and I have come up in an educational system that is not equitable when you look across the board. My, I, my oldest son purposefully moved, on purpose, moved to a suburb. So because of the school system? Yeah. Because it was, it was a better education for his kids. Um, I believe in the teachers of Buffalo 100%. I am a teacher supporter. I taught in Buffalo Public School. And you were on the school board briefly, And I was too. on the school board. Yeah, and the reason I, one of the reasons I got off is because the education was not the topic. It was about buildings. It was about contracts. So this is no reflection on the teachers. It's a reflection on the entire system as it's set up. And I think that um, when you talk about whether this is, is better for uh, white and white uh people compared to people of color absolutely starts with education and then goes to what we know is segregation um it's there the numbers are there and and now since the idiot uh, white supremacists came into our community and killed 10 people um i can talk about it and and i don't call it the race card now it's race facts that's all it is and if we don't face those facts, we never change systems to do better. Um, I'm yeah, and and it has to be changed. Education has to be our most important situation. But if it is not funded, if it is not the priority, and it, it is not, it is just not. It is the afterthought, and it affects more African Americans and people of color. All right, now George Arthur versus Ewald Nyquist. Arthur V. Nyquist, 1972, the school desegregation case, ended up having schools desegregated. And I, if you could see us, I'm putting that in air quotes. I see it. Desegregated. Mm -hmm. You're saying schools are still segregated despite the federal court order. Not not schools so much as the neighborhoods, neighborhoods? and the communities. Okay, Heck yeah. I mean, you, you, you drive down the street. You know, you know where the majority. This guy, who I won't even mention his name, who's sitting in jail, um, all he had to do was drive down the street to figure it out. All he had to do was go to the grocery store. All he had to do was go to the church. He knew where, where African Americans were. So it is not just the schools. It is the entire neighborhoods. And if there are magnet schools, if there are no longer neighborhood schools where the population of that school is determined by the geography. Can we not argue that, that uh, there is a, a same level of education for everybody right now? Um, there isn't a same level of education for everybody. All we have to do is look at graduation rates, but I want you to go Graduation rates. Yeah. Go look at our 
what some would call premier schools, the the, the testing magnets, ends, the, city the magnets, the Olmstead, and no no disrespect to them because those families and those children have put in the work to many times to be there. Uh, sometimes is is it, it's not, but um, majority of those kids, I'm not going to take away from their working. Um, but at the end of the day, I just think we as a nation, this is why I'm saying, I'm not saying Buffalo public schools. I'm talking about urban schools all over this country. It's the same thing. Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, urban schools are not looked at as priorities across this country. And this is no, I want to be clear, no disrespect um, to our teachers, no disrespect to our administrators. At the end of the day, I think America at times puts more capital into helping foreign countries than even our own. And I've said that from from the Obama years to the Biden years to the Trump years, we have to concentrate on home. And the biggest and most important and precious thing we have are our young people, and especially those who have been disenfranchised and, and have not seen equity in their lives. Darius, where are the resources? Pridgen is with us. We're talking about education and housing and a whole bunch of other issues. We'll, we'll get into business development. We can get into uh, racial segregation. Much more to come. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. This is Buffalo What's Next producer picks. Usually uh, the producer picks program. We pick a couple of different programs and give you highlights of them. But today, this one interview was so big that we decided once again to bring you an earlier conversation from February 2nd with outgoing City Council President Darius Pridgen. I don't even want to call it an exit interview because, yeah, you got time left, but you did this past week announce that you are not running again for city council. And in light of all of that, I want to take a look at your tenure and some of the unmet needs and some of the things you've seen maybe change for the good and some that we really need to address. And that leads directly to a conversation about May 16th. Mm -hmm. For better or worse, now I want to have both sides of the coin here. How did that change things? It opened up a door. Um, Ten lives lost. It opened up a door. For instance, when you said, hey, I don't want to play the race card. We don't have to say that anymore. It's okay to talk because about Because now race. this this shooting proved, makes that conversation. It, yeah, and it proved. Not what, just okay, but necessary, you would argue. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. I, yes, absolutely. All right. And it proved what black people have been saying for a long time and, and white people who 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 have a heart and really understand this, that we have a racial problem in, in America. And I remember saying this years ago at Klein Hands. Our, our church used to rent out Klein Hands for Easter services. And we always had a theme. And one year the theme was about America healing. And I mean, people ate me alive. Uh, oh, <laughs> for raising the, the topic? I can remember the article in the news. I can see the picture that was on the front page, and it was me. And uh, the comments were, he's always playing the race card. He ain't nothing is wrong with America. And I had to take a—I was taken aback. Like, oh, shucks, am I the only one who thinks that? What year? 
Oh, I can't remember the year. Probably about 10 years ago. Oh, okay. 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah, they ate me alive, man. They ate me alive. And um, and now, come on and eat. Come on. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on. Because that guy opened up the door for these conversations and these conversations not to be uncomfortable. I'm not, I've never been uncomfortable talking about race. But it would be held against me. And now I don't care. And many people don't care. And many people are speaking out, not just black people, but white people who have a heart, Asian people who see it. Black people are the only people who were brought here by force. So don't tell me that, uh, oh, my people immigrated here and, you know, we came on on a boat from wherever. You didn't come on the same boat, sir. You didn't come on the same boat. So that that's. That's what changed. My German ancestors came over, oh, but, but not I, dragged. I promise you they were not chained like mine. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Is that the silver lining? And the other part of my question is, is talk enough? Oh, heck's uh, no. Um, yeah, we're talking about it a lot more. Um, yeah, the community came together, and a lot of people have said that is a really cool thing that happened. But it's been eight months, and I'm not sure... And, and maybe I'm just being impatient, but it's been eight months and I'm not sure that any of the problems that people have been talking about, talking about, talking about have resulted in action plans. Okay, two things, and I'm going to say them both so that I don't forget. Number one is because many uh, who want change are not empowered to to create that change. That's number one. All right. Um, number two, there, there you, you cannot undo hundreds of years of a system that is not equitable in eight months. You, you, it, it, no, it's going to take time. Has anything happened? Yeah, uh, Mark is here from my office. We were in D.C. When, when the president announced some changes. Changes on, and this has nothing to do with TOPS so much as equity and fairness, changes on police forces uh, or, or policies and laws. There is more than talk. It's not going to happen overnight. But the reason I say many who want change are not empowered, you say, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, you, you, you have a black vice president. You got a black mayor. That's not what I'm talking about. All right. The real movers and shakers of Buffalo are not in the Buffalo News. They are not on your radio station. They are the wealthiest of the wealthiest that really make the moves. When you talk about a food desert on the east side and you say, and 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 the people on the east side say, we want a grocery store. Guess who will not be able to open up a grocery store the size of Tops or Wegmans? Probably most of the people who are saying we want it, right? There was a black grocery store on Jefferson. Douglas it was Goggins, Figmos. You Figmos. Finally, I got my and, own store. And before that, Herb Bellamy's Herb. family had a grocery store on the east side. Yes, not and, but still not the size of a Tops or Wegmans, right? Yeah, right. So at the end of the day, we do want change. But when you don't have the wealth. And 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 maybe it's my eleven months and feeling very very free at, at this moment. <laughs> when you do not have the wealth to call to 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 make that change happen, you are still dependent on somebody else to come in and save the day. Alex Wright, who's who's uh, you know who I'm supporting one hundred African American Heritage African, Food Co-op. You got bro, you you got it. I mean, you he's you, been on the show. You're basically a brother right now. Um, so <laughs> high five. Right. <laughs> but. He and I'm supporting him, 
he's not going to be able to open up in the beginning something as big as what the community is saying, but he, he will be able to open. So that's the difference. Will it happen in eight months? No. Will it happen if we keep our foot to the pedal? I believe we can do better. Devil's advocate question, though, no personal offense meant that's just a cop-out from the politicians who haven't been able to do anything. No, that's a, that's a truth from a black man who has lived on the east side the majority of his life. See, politician and Darius are really one and the same. So, no, not a cop-out. Nope, it's a black man. It's a black man who begged to go to public school. It's a black man who lived on Winslow Avenue. It's a black man who walked around the street to East Ferry and had no grocery store except Figmos that w- that did yeah, not sustain. Yeah. yeah. Has City Hall, generically, maybe not any individual politician, but has City Hall, has government done enough? It can never do enough. Anybody who says, oh, we've done enough, we've done everything we can is a Okay, we're done here. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no. That that doesn't happen. Always, it's it's the same thing like pastoring. You know, you, you... you, you get three people right, and then you you, you, you moan, uh, mourn over the two you couldn't. No, it's never enough, but you got to keep you got to keep plugging. You got to keep you, you got to keep doing those things that you can do. So I'm not going to cop out and say, yeah, we've done enough. We what, always could do more. What directly can the city government do in order to lift the fortunes of those on the east side? City government is not the end all and be all. First of all, city government and almost every government is really in place to keep order. If there was order, you would not need government. Um, if you had this utopia, that it, that's not the case. City government is never going to be able to lift everybody. It takes a total effort. If city government can lift everybody, then during COVID, we wouldn't have needed the federal government to come in with money. And we wouldn't need the county and we wouldn't need the state. This is not something city government can do alone. And from 12 years, I've been saying this, that unless we have an issue that we can work together on, there will always be these huge gaps, whether it is in education or whether it is in economics. I want to be clear. I'm a council member. I, I say this and I can say it because I am a council member. It's the lowest rung of government. And so you you want the lowest rung of government because it's the most touchable to be able to lift all of this. And nobody says what can the, not many people, what can the federal government do to help the city? What can the state do to help the city? What can, that's not the conversation. Why can't the city? Well, because then you're going to need more money. Then if you raise the taxes, the city government is raising the taxes. At the end of the day, it has to be a national conversation. All right. So if the role of the local government is to keep order, mm-hmm. then I think we can look at two items that have been in the news that have garnered criticism. Policing. Yep. And things like garbage pickup or, I don't know, um, garbage pl- pickup. plowing doing a blizzard. Yep. Let's talk about policing. Is the city of Buffalo doing enough to weed out bad cops? In the discussions since Memphis, there have been people on this program, uh, most notably Miles Gresham from the Partnership for the Public Good, who said there are all sorts of court cases out there that could allow the police commissioner to remove officers. And now that 50A isn't there, now that their disciplinary records are an open book, you can look and say there are certain officers on the force that theoretically should not be on the force. Do you agree that the, the department is not doing enough to get rid of them? I will say this, that personally, I've known of police officers of recent who have been taken off of the force. Okay. Um, I 
pushed Cario's law. I know you did. Yeah. And um, it, it is a great achievement for us. When you look at Memphis, they had policy. They don't have law. Yeah. Um, and, and so in fact, some of the things that Memphis is now considering has uh, has already happened in Buffalo. Duty to intervene, Cario's law. Yeah, yeah. Ending the Scorpion Task yeah, Force, yeah. the Strike Forces here. Yes, um, yes. Th- there are some parallels where we are ahead of the curve. Absolutely, and I'm not. I'm not going to act like we we're not. We are. Um, when I reinstituted the Police Oversight Committee on on the council that is made of citizens, um, and that brings in the top brass um, into our chambers to to answer questions when we I ask for the data uh, for. Or the police stops me because I got caught up in one. And that's not why I asked for it. I asked yeah. for it because only place I really ever saw it. You experienced it. You saw it. You wanted to yeah. have data. I got pulled over. And I remember how rude that particular officer was to me. And he said, oh, I guess if you're the boss, you don't have to follow rules. I don't even know what it was. I don't know if I had an inspection stick. I don't know. I'm a human. You know what I did? And he let me go. You know what I did? I went back around the corner for him to give me a ticket. I said, give me a ticket because I'm never. You don't want to be accused of favoritism. No, no. I didn't like his attitude and I didn't like the way he talked to me. And I didn't like the fact that he thought that letting me off, he was doing me a favor. Give me a ticket. I'll pay it. I don't care. At the end of the day um, in Buffalo, we, we have made great strides. And I said this the other day and didn't even think about it when it was happening. During when we did Cario's Law and other uh, changes to policy, the police union never fought it. They understood the importance of having a relationship with people. And I'm not going to say on every issue we agree, but I can tell you this. During the police reforms around here, I wasn't fighting the union. We were talking on the phone. We were figuring it out. The administration, the union, the council, the people. Miles, for instance, uh, has been a huge help in in helping craft policy. Um, And that, to me, is how you get to a better police force, how you get to better policing. And I think Buffalo is a little ahead of the curve because when you talk about what we don't do, nobody talks about what we do and what we haven't had here. What the fact that we haven't had some of the things that you've seen nationally. What do we still need to do? Oh man, that you And you, there's only twenty minutes. Yeah, left. you 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 would need <laughs> I, I need about five hours. There's a lot. Are you talking about particularly policing? Poli- yeah. Oh on policing, we still have to build trust. Listen, I, I anybody who says we don't need police Oh, my gosh. God bless you. I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those people saying I've always said we need to reallocate. Never have I said that we don't we shouldn't be funding police. Absolutely not. We need to be funding police. We need to help police. But we all there has to be a trust built. I got a years ago. I I don't know. I was probably in my, my early 30s. I got pulled over in Canada driving through speeding. And and I apologized to the police officer by the time I was done. He was kind. He he told me why. He didn't treat me as if uh, I was a criminal uh, for going 11 miles over the speed limit. And when we got done, I was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) That that trust. We have to build trust. We need. And there are so many great police officers out there who put their lives on the line. Um, And so that that we still have more to do. All right. Now let's move on to the Christmas blizzard. Yep. You, you said earlier that there are certain things government can do, certain things government can't. Mm-hmm. Taking care of people during a blizzard. Absolutely. Was there a failure? Oh, I think that there was 
that we didn't do, that the city didn't do as well as what we could have. I think that the communication may not have been there. Um, but I, w- I don't want to take away from the many people who are out there doing great. I, I, I have to say that. The, the, the first responders and the regular citizens who I was online with live until 5 o'clock in the morning with 500 people at, at any given time on. Can we do better? Yes. See, see Darius Pridgen is not one uh, who's afraid to say we could do better. The communication is key. Um, Blizzard came worse than we've ever had. Um, but I don't think it's the last that we will ever have uh, because of this this earth and how it is changing. So, yeah. Critics of the way that was handled talk about the communication and say that maybe there was not a communication strategy that embraced those who are disadvantaged, those who are on the east side. Um, don't get in your car. Well, what if I don't have one? Um, stay at home. Well, what if I don't have heat? The argument is that some of the messaging was not targeted differently to different groups. Why did we have roughly 44 deaths in the entire county and 18 of them in the city? And granted, the city to get hit harder by the blizzard, but 18 of them in the city were black. Well, first of all, the majority of people live in the city. So when you have a tragedy, you are going to be impacted where there are more people. And the asterisk is, yes, that the blizzard did hit the city harder. Sure, I get that. Absolutely. Um, But talk about the disparity. Why did that occur? Well, number one, when you talk about the, let's go right to the power grid and you go to to um, the electric company who says and showed that um, this was a blizzard like they've never seen. And you had these huge transformers that were frozen. And so now you had a disproportionate number of people of color who were without power. Um, the community centers, the churches, no power. Our church had no power. Um, I have pushed for years for a better communication with our citizens, utilizing our public access, utilizing. And, and now I'll say this, the the city has in some ways stepped that up. Buffalo, we push, get Buffalo. These, mo- most everybody has a cell phone nowadays. Yeah. We've pushed that. You got to get Buffalo. I just got an alert today about the cold. The news is saying about the cold. There's some things that, and, and, and to be transparent, I knew the storm was coming, heard the storm was coming, watched TV, the storm was coming. In my little brain, you know what I said? Oh, yeah, they, they always hollering about a storm. Yeah. I'm going out. And yeah. I did. Yeah. And I was out and I started seeing the whiteout. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going home. You know, I, so I have to confess right? I did the same thing. <laughs> we we were waiting for the paycheck to drop. We went out and got groceries that yes. morning and saw what was going on and said, We gotta get home. I, now. I got my tail home and yeah. couldn't get back out. And like I said, you're the first to get this. Uh didn't know whether I did have a heart issue. So now I'm in the house. I can't really come back out. Can't couldn't shovel. Um, but I think that um communication we, we need to do better. And I, I understand now um about this emergency alert system. We, we, we probably needed that then um, and just the communication with citizens. But there was a lot of information out there. And uh, I was asked on a national show um, who wasn't as good as you, uh, Bye, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was asked, well, was enough information out there? There was a lot of information out there. But people like me and, and many citizens just was like, uh, we can handle it. We're Buffalo. We're tough. So before we move off the blizzard. 
bottom line, it sounds like you're saying to a degree, and everything is a little bit of gray, mm -hmm. uh, to a degree it was more the geography of where the blizzard hit, the resources of a city. It was not necessarily, you're saying, and I, if I'm putting words in your mouth, push back, it was not necessarily a racial disparity thing. Am I don't I right? think on purpose. I don't think on purpose. I don't know of anybody. I, I'm telling you, I would expose them if it was. I don't know of anybody in city government, county government, state government that said, oh, we don't care about black people. We're just not going to send resources. Now, do I think that if, in the future, if we think of blizzard on the way, I'd be calling Kathy Hoko and saying, hey, send me, even if these troops have to sit in the Holiday Inn, send me the troops now. Send whatever you can. Let's be ready. Um, but I'm, that's a Monday morning quarterback, and I, I'm not a quarterback on, on city government. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm a legislator, so I don't do these. I'm, I'm not a part of the storm. I, I learn things, you know, the city would call or the administration would call, tell me, but I'm not in the rooms. During during the break, we, we had talked a little bit. Both of us have an Achilles heel. Yep. And it is sports. <laughs> <laughs> so if you say you're not a quarterback, I— uh... <laughs> I'm not even a center that throws. I don't know what I am, but uh, we're here with Darius Bridgen, City Council, Ellicott District, retiring at the end of this term, president of the City Council. You can hear a lot more interviews just like this one every weekday morning at 10 o'clock on WBFO. We rebroadcast it at night at 9. And it's always on demand at WBFO.org. Now back to the conversation. We're talking now a little bit about the east side, business development. And I think if we look around the city, we can see business development and a thriving Elmwood. We can see business development and a thriving hurdle. Maybe even Seneca Street in South Buffalo. People are saying that's starting to rise. What's wrong with Jefferson? <laughs> What's wrong with Jefferson? Well, why hasn't it happened there? Um, it's called economics. It's called equity. It's called that if I live in a certain area and I have a home and I can leverage that with a bank or I can even go to the bank. Let's be clear. The people on Elmwood are not natural. Many of them are not, don't, don't have natural wealth. They go and borrow money. If I can't go to the bank, that's why I say it all goes back to education. We don't get that right. If I can't go to the bank and get a loan to open up a business in the community where I want to operate, I don't. So what you have right now is a lot of African-Americans are in business, but they're, they're not in brick and mortars. They have to do it through the Internet. They have to do it out of their basement. They have to do it through some other means. Second of all, what is going on is properties right now are selling at a ridiculous ridiculously high level. So if I don't have $150,000 to go buy a storefront, as I talked to one owner the other day, yesterday, Tuesday, um, then I, I can't, I can't, I, I got to pay you now, not you, but you. Yeah, no, I hear you. I, let me make you the guy, you know. Uh, I got to pay you the high rent and still try to operate my business in an area that's already economically disadvantaged. It even with the amount of vacant storefronts there are and vacant lots, development is still pricey? Absolutely. A lot right now. You used to be able to buy a lot in the city of Buffalo, from the city of Buffalo, for about $900. 
You, I haven't approved a lot at $900 and I don't know when. So it is, again, the system. So when tops happen and everybody came into town, they said, oh, we're going to do this in, on the east side. We're going to do this on the east side. Part of this is economics. If I cannot now go and buy my building, I've got to rent from somebody who can, who, who, check this out, who now, Jefferson, I'm talking about future, is popping. Now I raise your rent. Again, it's it's a system that is set up so much for failure that then you go, well, why can't government? We this is huge. Same just Buffalo. It's huge. Devil's advocate. Come on. Gentrification is good because it makes for integration. That's the the definition of gentrification. Basically, bringing up a, a neighborhood to and a, and if you have more wealth that is concentrated in other hands coming into the neighborhood. It's a good thing. Yeah, you might be pricing people out of housing. I get that. But um, is gentrification bad? So gentrification, the, 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 what gentrification is supposed to do is not bad. It's the results when it's not controlled. Uh, and that's why this, this task force is so important that, that I put together. Um, because when I remember years ago when I ran, I remember one of my opponents uh, taking pictures on Jefferson in that area and going, Pridgen isn't doing thing about this. Pridgen is doing. And then four years later, when apartments went up on, on Northampton and Jefferson, you know what they said? Oh, Pridgen is going to price us out. He's bringing all these people in, and, and there are white people on our street now. And, and I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. One, one minute you're not doing anything. The next minute you're doing something, and you're pricing people out. Gentrification has to be controlled, and it has to be controlled in a way. For instance, the Fruit Belt. Fruit Belt has always said we want affordable housing, and there's been some affordable yeah. housing. And now some homeowners are saying, and we want some market rate. There's a whole Fruit Belt plan. And that's how you make sure that gentrification does not push out people. I'm the one who fought for McCarley Gardens not to sell to UB. Me. I'm the one who fought for the city mission to stay in downtown Buffalo. Me. I'm the one who was the honorary chairperson to raise $4 million for their construction. That's how you take gentrification and say, let's thing, make things better without displacing people who need to be there. You spoke of the damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. Um, and I think in this last mayoral campaign, there was a lot of people pointing fingers at City Hall and specifically Mayor Brown saying mm -hmm. that he didn't do enough for the east side. Is this another case of those damned if you do, damned if you don't? Or did maybe India Walton have a point in your point of view? Um, I'll say this. I think that when you look at the amount of affordable housing that has been built and that, that we brought to the city and the diversification of the people who are building them, that there is a lot going on. Can we do more? Absolutely, yes. A, a new voice comes along and, and sheds light in a different way. And I think that some people felt refreshing. I think the biggest thing, I mean, since we, we've been transparent, that Byron Brown didn't do uh, when he ran was campaign. All right. That, that, that's what I think he didn't do. One of the other issues that was raised during that race is, is the, the, the imbalance between downtown and the neighborhood. Oh, well, all the development's downtown. Mm -hmm. The neighborhood's not getting it. Is that a false equivalency? I would say that there is always going to be a development in urban cities and downtowns if for for the neighborhoods because it is better. what it is. It, it, it you 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 start at the hub and then it goes out to spokes, right? So I think that 
sometimes we don't pay attention to some of the developments. Um, it, it was slow for a while. But again, that's money in the pipeline. If the federal government does not send down money to help with, you know, if HUD doesn't send down money to build affordable housing, the city, and a lot of people don't realize this, city doesn't have money to build affordable housing. Yeah. The home dollars come from the state, well, from the feds, through the state to the city. All of this pipeline down. So a lot of times when people are saying the city, it's because many times they don't understand the role of the state or the federal government. The city sometimes administers the program. That's most of the but time. But that's not where the money is coming no, from. No, exactly. So I've, I've never seen anybody say, and this, and I like Brian, so let me say it like this. I never heard anybody go, I'm calling Brian Higgins for more money. I'm calling Schumer for more money. I'm calling. You don't hear that. They, you hear the city. Well, okay, okay. So we can, but we probably have to double taxes and still wouldn't have the money that our federal government has. All right. Now let's look who else has money. The developers. Absolutely. Doug Jamal puts money in one Seneca Tower around the corner from our studios here. Doug Jamal puts money into Elmwood Avenue. Yep. Doug Jamal is not on Jefferson. Well, let me tell you this about Doug Jamal. Number one, you're right. He's a developer. And, that's his money. I, I don't mean he, him specifically. Right. But so let's just talk the, about that's his let's money. Let's talk about him specifically and then developers if in general. had that money, had that money, you, you can't make me put money anywhere. However, I'm going to say this. Can this the is, city dangle a carrot? And, and maybe not make him put his money I don't, there. I don't want to dangle a carrot in front of a Douglas Jamal. I want to, I want to dangle a carrot in front of Jamal who lives on the east side. I, I want to dangle a carrot in, in front of a, a somebody who has lived on the east side who needs to be a developer. Now, Douglas Jamal, it, it, just to let you know, is yeah. doing work in the Fruit Belt right now. All right. As a designated developer, he I doesn't even corrected. own the property. I did not know that. He does not even own the property. The city still owns it. But he worked with the community because he wants to get more involved in the community. He's doing, uh, what's the address? Uh 204 High Street. You go over 204 High, and it is it was a doctor's office, a uh, house, dilapidated, falling in, preservationist wanted to keep it. Doug Jamal came along and said, I'll tell you what, I'll fix it. What are you going to put in it? I don't know. Whatever the community wants. So he's, right. he's trying. Yep. All right. But he, we, and like you said, we're not he, talking about Douglas. Yeah, he, he may be the example I chose, and perhaps right. a bad example, but developers in general. And I, I, I get what you said about not wanting to incentivize those who have money. But it's it's like uh, they're the ones with the money. Yeah, but how do we ever change it? If we're talking about real change and moving forward, is, I think that's what I heard on the show. Yeah, a little bit. Moving forward. You don't move forward by continuing to give carrots to the same people over and over. I call it the difference between having an in-ground pool and above-ground pool. The developers can have in-ground pools, right? Children are in great schools that they don't have to pay for. And then the ones who put up the drywall have to have an above-ground pool and then send sometime their children to an underperforming school. So <laughs> when do you get out of it? If there should be carrots for anybody, there should be carrots for those who really have a desire to come up in this city, to come up in this state, to come up in this country. I'm not interested in giving a developer money to put one apartment in, 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 in a whole industrial plaza to be able to qualify for some home funds or, or money that should be given to Jamal. And I don't mean Douglas. Doug Jamal. Okay. I mean Jamal Hakeem. <laughs> All right. 
I want to talk in, in the remaining five minutes in general, as broadly as we can, about race relations. You said to some degree, obviously, 10 people lost their lives. That's, that's, that can't be good. But to some degree, you say that the door is now open, that these kind of conversations are a heck of a lot easier now. And that may be the case on this radio station on the east side of Buffalo. But how do I get the guy in Machias or Corfu or each Orchard Park or East Aurora to understand some of the things that need to be understood about blacks in the city of Buffalo. So how does that conversation Some start? of that is never going to happen. So there are just some people who are never going to have a conversation who have been raised uh, to think that African Americans and people of color are less, to believe in white supremacy, whether they have on a cape or they're going through tops. Um, and that's not going to happen. You, you just have to simply move forward. Um, there are new Americans here right now that have will never know the discrimination that African Americans have gone through and and still go through, but they they're not they're they're not trying to convince somebody in Machias. You know what they're doing? They're building their buildings. They are buying property. They are opening stores. They are moving forward as a people. For me, this is just for me. My job, part of my job, is to help my people move forward. I have no time nor tolerance uh, to try to convince somebody in Machias that you should embrace black people, that you should, you, you don't have to. But what I, my responsibility is to say to people of color and to even white people who, because I, I have white people who are part of my congregation, um, and but they understand. You come to True Bethel, you got to understand the black plight, and you can't be offended if we talk about race. Or you can be, but you probably won't stay long. <laughs> um, and so I think it is about focusing on those who do care. You know, would this show even be here uh, if it were not for Tops? Would we be having this national conversation now? And I say we we probably wouldn't. So a lot has changed. A lot still needs to change. But convincing people who don't want to get it, I don't give a daggone. On this program, we've talked with Jillian Hainsworth, the Poet Laureate, about the East Side. And one of the things she said is, just go there. Uh, I, I asked her why the Freedom Wall isn't at Canal Side, where more people could see it. And she said, no, we don't need the good stuff to just go to Canal Side. Absolutely. We need more people to come onto the East Side. Theoretically, if that guy from Machias had a steak sandwich at Black by Demand, maybe we would get some integration, no? Or am I just am I just blowing smoke? Well, I'll tell you this. One of the reasons I worked so hard on the African-American cultural uh, quarter um, you know, the archways up there yeah, is my baby. Yeah. Um, Michigan Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is that some people are not going to feel comfortable just coming to a different side of town. Heck, I'm not going to feel comfortable going to Machias. Let's be honest. I'm not going to Machias and hang out at the local diner. <laughs> you're not going to be making my food in the back and bring out my eggs. I don't know what you <laughs> might put in there. By the way, a church did come to our church from there and had church worship with us on the Sunday. Yeah, and, and we've had on this program, uh, there are initiatives out there to get these kind of activities underway at churches, get a, a rural white church together yeah. with some city church for they, the sake they, of— They showed up like 40 deep uh, yeah, yeah. you know, at a black service on, on Buffalo, too, and it was wonderful. I wasn't there, but it was wonderful um, from what I saw. At the end of the day, you know, we, we have to move forward, and I believe that shows like this, to be very honest. I've never had so many 
discussions about race outside of February, and I know this is February, but yeah, you, didn't, yeah, you no, tried to get me in January, so so I'll be I'll let everybody know you. This is not the Black History Show because that's when everybody want to talk to a black preacher is doing Black History Month and want us to step and fetch it and do all that silly crap. Um, but your show covers. I'm looking in the mirror, and there's a black man I believe behind me. He is cracking up. Two of them actually. But but if you look at oh two of them behind me. Yeah, hey, yeah. I'm beautiful. I'm I'm feeling that. We see you. But I also want to see more, if you look at uh, our TV stations, no black anchors. You look at the the largest radio stations, white-owned, very few black people behind the mic, very few black people producing, very few black people in the high office. So it's easy to ask the questions, but at the end of the day, who's running the companies who's asking the questions? So you just gave a lot of power to the media, though. Are we really that big? Oh, come on. Yes, you are. You paint the okay. picture. You paint the scenario. And I promise you, and I don't know about BFO. I know they used to have, a, a, a Bosley was here, you know, yeah. a man of color. But I promise you the majority of stations in this city who are asking the questions, why isn't government doing this? I could ask the same question. Why is there not a black anchor on TV in Buffalo? Why is there not a black jock or a black talk show host on most of these white-owned radio stations? You don't see a person of color. I see them in the mirror, but I don't see them in front of my face. All right. Last question. And a guy like you, I think I know how you're already going to answer it. (laughs) Are you optimistic? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not that guy who uh, the, the world is falling apart. I'm peaceful. I'm happy. I'm thankful. I'm thankful to have a voice. And I'm optimistic. Yeah, I always believe things could be better. Or I, I shouldn't be in this business. A man of faith is going to say that. But do you really think that racial relations can improve in... Oh, you asked me, was I optimistic? You didn't say about racial relations. Well, are you optimistic about racial relations? Yep. Really? I, I really am. I believe the more people open up their mouth and stop being silent, not just black people, but white people, all people, whether it is about black people, whether it is about Jews, the more we open up and stand up with each other, the better off we'll be. This has been fun. It has been. A quick hour. Darius Bridgen, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And that will do it for this edition of Buffalo What's Next Producer Picks, highlights of our weekday conversation on race, segregation, and our shared humanity. Buffalo What's Next is a podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts, or you can also listen on demand at WBFO.org. I'm Dave Debo. Thanks for listening.